0: We are in a series on the parables of Jesus Christ. Parables are simply earthly stories that Jesus tells that have a heavenly or an eternal kind of message to them. Now, we've talked about the kingdom parables, we've talked about the lost parables, we've talked about the parable of the vineyard, talking about God's grace, uh, the house on the the rock and the, the sand, talking about the idea of, of obedience and foundation. We talked about light and salt a couple of weeks ago, the idea of influence. And I know that today's Mother's Day, um, so I decided that what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at one of the parables about a woman. Now, when I start this parable, you're going to go, uh, wait a minute, where are you going with this one, okay? Because you're like, okay, she's an example. Yes, yeah, she is an example. I'll get there, all right? you just got hang in there with me until I get there, because when I read this, you're going to go, I don't know what kind of woman you're thinking of there, but so just trust me here, all right, as we get going here. Now, this morning we're in Luke chapter 7, okay? So let me give you the background before we get to the story. And in Luke chapter 7, here's the, here's the beginning part of the chapter. Uh, what happens is Jesus heals someone. And then in the next part of the chapter, Jesus raises, uh, the widow's son who was, who was dead, um, and he raises him from the dead. So at this point, there's a big discussion about who is this guy? Who is this guy that can heal people and raise the dead? Is he a prophet? Who is he? And there becomes this discussion about who Jesus is. There's a section in there about him and John the Baptist. And is he a prophet or is he not or whatever else? And so that's the whole thinking behind the story that we're going to look at. All right. And it's important to understand that. So here, we're going to, here we go. Luke chapter 7. Here's what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house. So he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood there behind his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with their hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw that, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. And what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii. Denarii is a day's wage, okay? The other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, before we get into all of this, and, and I want to get to the application of it, but I also want to lay out an understanding, because in our culture, we don't understand how dramatic this story really is. So let me walk through the whole thing with you, and then we'll, we'll put it together at the end for us with some, some lesson. Um, first of all, we have the Pharisee. That's Simon. Simon is a Pharisee who invites Jesus to his house. When we look at the original language, the idea actually is not that Jesus invited him up, but they kept on inviting him, insisting that he come. And so eventually, Jesus says yes, and, and that in and of itself is unique, and here's why. The Pharisees were a pretty closed group, so they didn't really like people from outside their group. So the fact that he even invited Jesus is unique uh, because Jesus wasn't a Pharisee. So I don't know if his, if his, if the idea of inviting him to dinner was to convince Jesus to be more like them or because he was trying to impress people or whatever else. But for whatever reason, he asked Jesus to come to his house um, for dinner. And it says that they reclined at the table. Now, normally... Uh, When they in this kind of setting, what it would have been would is probably a Sabbath meal or a holiday. It's like some of you are going to celebrate Mother's Day together. You're going to go over and you know you're going to it's going to be a big deal. You know you're not going to you know you're not going to eat off paper plates. You're going to bring out the good stuff. You're gonna you know it's not going to be plastic silverware. You're going to use real stuff. Um, In this culture, you have to understand that first of all, the meal was a big, 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 big deal. It wasn't a Uh, McDonald's fast food service thing. This was a deal where a lot of times it would last for hours, okay? And here's how it would be set up. Uh, It would be set up like this, okay? So I'm sorry, but Da Vinci's Last Supper at the Table thing, no, it would have been like this. And the way that people would eat would be like this. This is how you would sit at that table, okay? So follow this for a minute. So I'm going to try this. I hope I can get back up. But um, so... I'm, I'm eating like this, and you're eating like this the whole time, and you're 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 talking to whoever's at the end of the table or whoever's around the table. And this is how the meal would be. Now notice where my feet are. Okay, see how my feet are behind me? Okay, because here's why. In this culture and in this time, as you're sitting at a table like that, first of all, there were you invited you invited who you wanted to sit at the table. That was a special seat. Okay. But because it was a big deal when you had those discussions, people wanted to get in on the discussions. So what people would do is when you had a deal like that, people would come into the house and stand along the outside of the walls. Because it was kind of the houses were kind of open. So they would, those of you who went to us with us when we were in Papua New Guinea, you remember the house boy? And you remember how we would meet in the house, boy, and everybody would just huddle around the outside to hear what was going on and see what was going on? It's the same idea. And in, in this culture, in this time, you would have people at this dinner thing, and then you would have people who would come in and stand around the outside of the thing to listen to the conversation. They didn't get to eat. They just got to listen. Now, what you have in this story is the fact, first of all, that a woman came into the house. Now, you need to understand that. In this culture, first of all, Pharisees would not talk to women, and they would definitely would not invite them into their house. So the fact that she walks in here is huge. It's huge. Secondly, her occupation, whatever it was, we don't know, was not good. We know that everyone knew her as a sinner, as somebody who, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a, the idea is that this has to do with morality, not with ceremonial stuff. So the fact that, first of all, she was in there, first of all, the fact that a woman was in there was a big deal, that a woman was in the house of a Pharisee. That was a big deal. That a woman like this felt like she could walk in. Oh. Now again, you've invited Jesus. You think he's a prophet. You're listening to the stories. And this woman is standing off on the side by his feet. At some point, this woman had made a decision to follow Christ. Because the Bible's very explicit here. That her sins were forgiven before this event happened. She's standing close to Jesus. And his feet are right there. She's so overwhelmed. She starts to cry. And as she starts to cry, her tears fall and land on his feet. He's so overwhelmed by the fact that God has forgiven her. And as she stands there crying, she starts to realize that his feet are getting wet. So, uh uh-oh, if that thing starts, hit the button and stop it. Um, But the room is about ready to take off, it sounds like. (laughs) Never in, in college did they say, okay, always be prepared for a Roomba to start during your message. Um, no, you know, anyway. So she's standing there, overwhelmed, overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for her. And these tears start to fall on his feet. Okay, now, I want to stop right here because I want you to make sure you understand this story. This morning, and I got up and I got showered and I got dressed, my feet were clean. And I put on a clean pair of socks. And if I were to take my shoes or my socks off right now, my feet are still clean. A little smelly, but they're they're clean, okay? And this culture, people went barefoot or with sandals. It is a dry, incredibly dry culture. People did not go in for pedicures, feet were nasty. As she is standing there, and she's watching her tears drop and land on his dirty, dusty, nasty feet. She takes and undoes her hair. Now, in this culture... The woman did not do that. That was disrespectful. That was a mark of shame on her. And she takes and she undoes her hair, and she kneels down, and she starts to dry his feet with her hair. Then... She takes out an alabaster box of, uh, or an alabaster thing of perfume. By some estimates, this may have cost as much as a year's salary. She then breaks it open and puts it on his feet. Starts rubbing and massaging his feet, and then she starts kissing those dirty, nasty, smelly, And that's what she does. And Simon is embarrassed at every level possible. I invited this guy to my house because I thought he was a prophet. It's very, very clear now. He is no prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know, you don't let a person like that touch you. You keep away from them. You have nothing to do with them. If you're really close to God, you stay away from people like that. And if he really knew who she was, if he was really a prophet like, he, like we think he is, he would never allow that to happen. And Jesus, knowing what was going on in Simon, In fact, it's interesting. When Jesus talks to him, one of Simon's responses is teacher it's the first time it is used in the book of Luke in reference to Jesus. Because up until then, they were using other terms for him. Teacher was the word they used for John the Baptist. And all of a sudden, it's one of these ideas where you could tell by the way that he addressed Jesus that he no longer had anything, wanted anything to do with him. He was embarrassed. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. A parable. There's a guy that owns owes 500 denarii, 500 days' wages, a year, almost two years' salary. He's that far in debt to this guy. The other guy is two months in debt to him. Neither one of them can pay any of it. But the, the debt owner, the loan holder says, I'm going to wipe it all out. Neither one of them owes me anything. And Jesus asks him, so Simon, tell me, who who loves more? And it's a little hard for us in English because in in the Hebrew language there is no word for gratitude. So normally we would say who's more grateful. There's no, so the closest they could get is this idea of love. And so Jesus looks at him and says, "Who who, who loves more?" And Simon goes, "Well, that's an easy one. That's a no brainer. I mean, the guy who owned five hundred. I mean, he's you know he's far. He should." He's the guy that should be more grateful. And Jesus says, exactly right. And then he looks at Simon. And he confronts Simon with the reality of it. And here's what he saw. Simon, <clears throat> when I came here, you didn't so much as even give me a kiss. Now, in this culture, that was, that was basically the handshake of the day. You didn't. When I came into your house, Simon, you didn't even shake my hand this woman's kiss of my feet Simon when I came into your house you didn't offer me water now what you need to understand is in this culture foot washing was such a humbling thing that actually you could not you could not command your servants to wash somebody's feet it was considered that thing our closest analogy would be um, if you were to, to help somebody with um, Either toiletry issues or bathing somebody, and and to help them with, with those kinds of, of of activities, that's our closest thing. You know, that, that's a very hard thing to do, and there's a very uh, people who who do that for other people have an incredible amount of uh, of, uh, of of humility and and, and and service and those kinds of things. And and in this culture, you could not you could not command your servants to wash people's feet. And so what happens is a lot of times they would at least offer water, which, again, was scarce in this, this area, but it was a commodity, a important commodity. You would at least offer them water to wash their own feet. He says, Simon, I walked into your house. You didn't even give me water to wash my own feet. And then another thing that they would do is begin because of the culture because of the heat because of the sanitation thing you know they're not like us where you shower and bathe every day and that kind of thing sometimes that, that occurred like once a week or once every two weeks so if you've ever been in this culture sometimes the smell can get really strong so they would they would use oil to kind of cover the smell so sometimes when you would walk into a house you would put oil it was a way of anointing it was a way of saying you're special and what's important is if I'm inviting people over and if I'm inviting somebody important over, you kind of pull out all the stops, don't you? You know, I mean, I'm not going to come over, you know, I'm not going to invite you over and go, OK, um, you know what, um, here, I'm going to serve you on the paper plates. Now, in our house, there are, there are, there are two levels of paper plates. OK, <laughs> there's the white, really cheap paper plates and then there's the nicer, heavy duty paper plates. So if I serve you on the white one, okay, you got it. Um, those are the common everyday things. You pull out all stops when you have somebody over, right? So in this culture, normally, if you were going to have guests over, when they walked in, you would, you would put oil on them, and you would offer them water, and you would, you would kiss them on the cheek or shake their hand in our culture. So if you came over to my house, you know, I would shake your hand, or I'd give you a hug and say, I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for coming, um, you know, we, here, here we got, we're going to have you sit here, and I know what your favorite food is, and so we're making that. And, and we would do those kinds of things. They didn't even give Jesus the most basic, common thing of even shaking his hand when he walked in. And Jesus says, but this woman, this woman, she's kissing my feet, Simon. She's kissing my feet out of gratitude. So he looks at her and he, and he says, your sins have been forgiven. She knew that. That's why she's doing it. She doesn't do this in order to be saved. She does this because she is saved. And it's very interesting when you look at the words as Jesus talks to her. One of the reasons Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it's not for her. It's for everybody else in the room. Because when they hear that, they're like, oh, who can forgive sins except God? We started out going, who is this guy? Now he's saying he can forgive sins. Well, Simon doesn't even think he's a prophet. And it's interesting because when he talks to this lady, uh, this woman, he says, your faith has saved you. And the, the words that are used at the end of this story, forgiveness of sins, saved, used often in Luke and Acts. And then uh, the one, one that I think stands out the most is peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. So you have this incredible story here. And basically, Jesus is looking at Simon and says, You know what? She's been forgiven much. That's why she loves like she loves. So let's talk about a couple things that I think, as we head out into the week, some things maybe for us to think about and, and apply. Let me get back to Mother's Day, Mom. Some of the things you see in the life of this lady are some of the things that you see in Great Mom. Things things like one of the things that you see is the idea here that she is incredibly resourceful. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She pulls that pen out of her hair and uses it to wipe the feet of Jesus. One of the things that I see Great moms, and again, you know, I'm fortunate. You know, I've I've had I had a godly mother. My wife has been an incredibly godly mother to my boys. Um, I have an incredibly godly mother-in-law. You know, so I, I mean, I've been surrounded by these kind of people all of my life. And one of the things that I could say of all of them is this idea of resourcefulness. They just don't care what anybody thinks. It's more important that they figure it out and that they do what they need to do. And they are incredibly practical, they, and, and she just uses her hair. And again, everybody in that room, folks, I'm telling you, the second she would have pulled that pen out, everybody in that room would have been shocked. But no, that's what she could use, and so that's what she uses. Another thing you see about this this, this woman is that the incredible sacrifice. Um, I don't know where she got the alabaster. Stuff for. I don't know if it's something she used in her occupation. I don't know. But we get the idea that um, there's a lot of Bible scholars that believe that this was an ointment that, um, or this was an oil that basically came in a sealed bottle. And actually with a long neck on it that you had to break. So it's not like it had a stopper in it. You could just use a little and pop it back in and save the rest for later. This was a deal where it was all or nothing. And I don't know if she had it for investment. I don't know why she had it. But when she gets to Jesus, she is so grateful this is the most expensive thing that she owns, and she's ready to dump it all on his feet. Because to her sacrifice, that's the greatest way that she can sacrifice to show her love to Jesus. And that's what she does. And that's what, you figured this out yet, you know as well as I do, the sacrifices that moms make. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that my wife has had to step up and take care of stuff because I couldn't because I wasn't there because I had to go do something else or take care of somebody else or whatever else. And it's that it's that idea of that sacrifice. So you know what? They are the unsung heroes. Um, you know, you can go through history and you can look at some of the great moms. And you know, we we look at people who have succeeded in life, and we often fail to realize it's really because of that mom who had that that emphasis there. That's why that's why we're giving you that deal today, which says. You know, your greatest contribution may not be what you do, but rather someone you raise. Because that is so true. That is so true. And I think that when we get to heaven, God makes sure everything's the way it ought to be. I think moms are going to be right up there at the top. Because I think we we don't give them enough credit. The other thing that you see with this incredible lady is her love. I think it's interesting in this story that as she's standing, as she's standing there close to Jesus, just being in his presence, she is so overwhelmed that she starts to cry. And the natural inclination of her is, I don't want to get his feet wet. I need to dry them off. And then as she's drying them off, she starts to realize they're kind of smelly. But I've got this, and I'm going to put this on there. And I know that it's wrong, and I know that you're not supposed to do it, but I'm going to kiss his feet. And she continues to kiss his feet. Go home and kiss somebody's feet. You're like, Ugh! exactly. Exactly. And you got clean feet. You know? Yeah. You- Again, I want you to understand the significance of this. This is as humbling as you can get. But this is a way she can pour out her love and show her love to Jesus. And she does. You know, moms, I happen to know, enough to know, that you have to do some nasty, smelly, stinky stuff from time to time. But the reason you do it is because you love Because you lost. There's some lessons in this story about Jesus, too. One of the lessons that I see in Jesus, and I'm amazed at this, is I'm amazed at the fact that Jesus goes at the invitation of the Pharisee to the Pharisee's house. I mean, he didn't have to. I, I mean, Jesus wasn't anything like these guys. And... The woman who's standing behind him as her tears drop on his feet, he doesn't criticize her. So what amazes to me with Jesus is he's comfortable with people on this end of the spectrum, and he's comfortable with people on this end of the spectrum, and people on both ends of the spectrum want to be close to him. That amazes me. People who are not like Jesus want to be around Jesus. You know, I hear people say, well, you know, if we're going to reach the world, we've got to be just like them. No, we don't. No, we don't. But if we conduct ourselves in such a way that people who aren't like us, like us, then we see we're doing what Jesus does. Because, again, this is what amazes me. Jesus is comfortable in the house of the Pharisee, and he's comfortable having a woman like that kissing his feet. It tells me a lot about Jesus' compassion for everyone. Everyone. There's not a person you're going to run, you're, there's, not a, there's not a set of eyeballs you're going to see this week that God doesn't love or care about. Not a one. And we've got to remember that because that's what you see in this story. Another thing, and this is a hard deal for me, this is a hard deal for you. Jesus doesn't reject her gift. He's like, oh, wait minute, wait, let wait let, let's let, let take that alabaster thing, let's go sell it, and let's go give the money to the poor. He didn't, he didn't do that. Okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, a minute, you, you, I don't want you kissing my feet. No. He accepts your gift. One, of, one of the things that, that you struggle with in this culture is when somebody wants to do something for you, some of you are like, no, I'm not going to let you do it. No, 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 no. Can I tell you one of the great lessons in Christianity? You let them do it. You know why you let them do it? Flip the tables for a minute. If you want to do something for somebody, you want to be a blessing to them, and they say no, then they rob you of that blessing. One of the hardest things for me to learn was when people come and say, hey, we want to do this, that I, that I say, okay, I'll let you do that. One of the things that you see in the life of Jesus is when this woman wants to do this, Jesus lets her do it. He lets her He lets her wipe his feet. He lets her kiss her feet. He lets her put oil and ointment on his feet. And some of you are like, well, you, you think it's like this spiritual pedestal to be able to go, no, you can't do that for me. And you're robbing people of a blessing that they want to do something for you. If God has laid it on their heart, then let them do it. Don't rob them of that. And that's one of the things that early in in this journey this past week with Troy and Lindsay that I had to sit down with them and I say, "Look, I, I just know this. I know you guys. This is part of the journey ahead. There're going to be people who want to do something. You have to let them do it. You have to just be able to say, and over and over again, I've heard the discussions, and we've, I, I, they've come to me and say, "We don't deserve this. We don't deserve we, we feel bad for and, and it's like, no, no, no." And and I've turned the tables on him. I said, "Okay, listen. If you if the situation were turned and you wanted to do this for somebody else," I said, "Yeah, I would want to take that from." Him. I said, "Exactly." And I said, I told him, I "said This is one of the hardest lessons to learn in Christianity is when people want to do something for you, to allow them to do something for you." And and in this story, this is what you see with Jesus. They're wanting to do something for. She's wanting to do something for Jesus, and Jesus lets her. I think the other thing that you see, and this is what the whole story is about, is this idea of love connected to forgiveness. Jesus brings this point out to Simon, and he says, Look, Simon, the reason she's doing this is because she realizes how much she's been forgiven. And he doesn't say this, but this is implied. And the reason, Simon, that you treated me just like anybody else is because you don't think you need forgiveness. You think you're better than her. You're looking at her going, well, you shouldn't have anything to do with her, when the reality of it is, whether it's a debt of 500 or a debt of 50, when it's forgiven, it's forgiven, and the one who is forgiven the most tends to love the most. And I would say this this morning. If you have this attitude in Christianity where you look down on somebody because of their sin or their standing or their whatever. That's a heart problem for you because you don't realize how much you have been forgiven. Oh, I can't believe somebody would do that. You know, that sin is just so horrible and da-da-da-da. Stop. You have been forgiven much. I have been forgiven much. You don't, we don't have the right to look down on anybody, because I I like what one guy said, and it's been around for years, but here's what he said. The The reason you don't look down on anybody else is because you want to know what salvation really is? Salvation is one beggar telling another beggar where to go get bread. And I love that analogy. One beggar telling another beggar where to go get bread. You want to know what our job is? One beggar telling another beggar where to go get bread. And I have people who walk in here and they go, oh, you know what? I mean, I, I hope the building's standing when I leave because, you know, you know, the fact that I walked into a church, is like, you don't know how bad I did. Stop for a minute. If it's still standing because I walk in here, believe me, you're, you're not an issue. Because we're all in the same boat. We've all been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. So we love, and this is why in the Bible, love for God and love for other people are so interconnected. Why? Because when you've forgiven much, you love much. When you realize what you've been forgiven, you love much. And Simon thinks, for whatever reason, he's better than her. And Jesus confronts this head on. And and, and let me tell you something. When Jesus tells this parable, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Because they're looking at this woman going, oh, she's so bad and we're so good. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. And I think it's ironic because when Jesus looks at her and says, your sins have been forgiven you. And they're looking at her going, we're going to hold your past against you. And Jesus is saying, your past is now past. Go do it differently from here on. And that may have been the reason she's getting rid of the alabaster box. I don't know. But from this point on, her life is different. And because her sins have been forgiven, and she is so overwhelmed by that, she stands at his feet crying. And then figures, the closest I can get at his feet, so I'll kiss his feet. Folks, you and I have been forgiven much. There's a world out there that needs Christ. You don't need to be putting labels on whose sin is worse than the other person's sin. It's it's a beggar sharing with another beggar where to get bread. Because we have been forgiven much. And that's the thing in this story that Jesus tries to illustrate to these people. That, look, you have been forgiven. And if you're here this morning... And you don't understand that, and you're thinking, well, I should never come to church, I should never whatever. I-, I beg you, I beg you, accept God's gift. I'll close with this story. I found this fascinating. 1830, 1830, here's the guy's name, George Wilson. You can look this up. George Wilson was convicted um, of mail theft. And because in stealing the mail, he jeopardized the life of a postal worker when he was sentenced he was actually sentenced to death by hanging. Okay? We've come a long way, haven't we? Uh, but he was sentenced to death by hanging. The president at the time was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson wrote him a pardon, which said, You don't have to die by hanging. When they presented it to George Wilson, you know what he said? I don't want it. So what happened was, it actually went to the Supreme Court. Is the pardon valid? George didn't want it. The president gave it. What do we do? Do we hang him or do we not hang him? It went to the Supreme Court. And here's what the Supreme Court decided The Supreme Court of the United States said the pardon is nothing more than a piece of paper. Until it is accepted, it's not a pardon. So the Supreme Court of the United States said, you know what? It's just a piece of paper. And if you're going to reject it, then you're going to be hanged if that's the way this is going to play out. Now, there's two stories. One says he was, he was, he was hanged. Another one says later, 10 years later, he did accept it, um, through, actually, to another president. I don't know which one's true, but the bottom line is this. The Supreme Court ruling, the United States of America says it's a piece of paper unless you do something with it and act on it. You know how salvation works? God offers it to anybody who wants it. But if you want to reject it, then you can stand before God in your sin. That's the way it works. Or you can stand before God with your sins forgiven because of your faith in Christ, just like your faith has saved. Your call, what you do with it. Just because it's offered doesn't mean it's a done deal. It's interesting to me in this story that here is somebody who was offered life and said, I don't want it. But yet, unfortunately, in my world, I see that every day. So I beg you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, please do that. those of you that have, please. Don't look down on anybody else. Realize that every person you come in contact with is a person Jesus died for and wants to save. And you and I are to be the light and the testimony to those people. So I, I close this morning with this. Jesus introduces the need for an awareness of our sin. He introduces us to a woman who is sacrificial, practical, and focuses on our love for Jesus. Jesus uses the parable to demonstrate that when we have been forgiven much, we love much. Love and worship God this week. Because he has paid a debt for you. You can never repay. Love him with your heart, your mind, and your soul this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thanks, first of all, Lord, for moms. Who, in so many ways, Lord, loved, sacrificed, cared for us, did things, Lord, that um, are so overwhelming in taking care of family. Lord, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, would you help us this week to love much? For those that haven't, Lord, would, they help, would you help them to understand that you loved us first, enough to go to the cross so that we could each have forgiveness of sin. Work in our lives, Jesus, this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.